Hi, and welcome to Captivated Audience. My name is Marie Lundberg, and I'm joined as always by my friend and professional colleague, Sam Sheen. Over to you, Sam. Hello, Marie. I hope you're doing well over there in Stockholm, Sweden. And today's podcast comes to you from here in the UK. And I would like to introduce everyone to Ben Marsh. Starting off, Ben, tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're based. So, hi, I'm the uh, CEO of iMeta Technologies. And I'm actually based at the moment in sunny Shropshire in the UK, which is very, very rural. Can you tell us a little bit about iMeta and what you actually specialize in? Yeah, so iMeta, we specialize in helping our customers accelerate compliant customer journeys. So really from onboarding to offboarding and everything in between, we help our customers deliver accelerated client journeys. I know you've been around some time as a company. I mean, how did it come into being? So we started in this space or selling to investment banks in about 2005. And our original product offering helped them with some of the reference data that they use in actually settling client business. At the end of the kind of client setup process, particularly if you're a, an investment bank dealing with institutional asset managers, you have to set up all of the accounts and book the trading activity too. And then you have to set up these things called standing settlement instructions, which is how all of the, the money and the stock trades hands as a deal is settled. So if you're a large investment bank, that is a, a problem of dealing with something like a, a half a million or so records. And keeping that data up to date is very important. If you don't, then you end up with failed trades. We set about to build a product to help solve that problem. And then with the financial crash, suddenly all of the money that had been available for doing things like operational effectiveness got sucked into dealing with compliance. And a big part of that was all of the kind of AML, KYC elements of the onboarding process. And we thought, well, we've got a product that's doing half of this. So can we expend, extend it out and, and do the lot? Looking through your website and your material, uh, Ben, you used the term client lifecycle management. As you were mentioning, it's everything from onboarding to offboarding. Why did you decide just not to focus on the onboarding component of KYC? Why the whole elephant? Our product was always about capturing new information, but it was always about maintaining it. So that's kind of been in our DNA from the very beginning. So the idea that we might just do a single part just never crossed our mind. How does your product or your technology deal with all the different kind of elements within to get that holistic and that single view? It's interesting. So I, I think that a lot of the problems that have come into the, the processing of kind of customer records, KYC in general, has probably been because people have focused more on maybe process moving something from a to b rather than necessarily thinking about data as a whole and if you actually see many of the the significant issues that we find that uh, regulated organizations are, are facing in the sense that they have very high operations costs and efforts involved in processing this data uh, on the other hand, customers are 
not that happy because they get repetitive data requests and the the whole process takes a long time which doesn't please either side frankly because it's not good service for the customer and it's revenue loss for the for the regulated organization you pretty much find out quite early on that a lot of this has happened because of the that process view has sort of trapped data in a silo data really is the core of everything that you do and that you need to think about data in a holistic sense in a way that you can catch your data once and then reuse that across all of the times that you need it in a relationship. Our favorite word in most of our podcasts has been data, which you've just talked about. And I remember in the days of old, it was all about document management. You know, and the focus of our debates was wet signature, electronic signature. For me, it's relatively surprising that the discussion around the importance of data for KYC purposes hasn't really been at the forefront of the AML discussions really until relatively recently. So why, why do you think that is, that it hasn't been as more prominent when it comes to KYC? Going back to what I said earlier, that it's slightly a function of the fact that operations people, and I was one, like you, Marie, I started as a settlements clerk, right? We People very often think about process. They think about getting you know, their in-tray to their out-tray, and what they're not focused on necessarily is thinking about all of the other interactions that might be happening to the entity that underlies the bit of paper that's gone from one side of the desk to the other. So I think it's been a mindset thing, partly. And then as a result of that, a lot of the tooling that's been chosen from a technology perspective is business process management type tooling, which really grew up from passing piece of paper from one end of the or around a team of people. That's the heritage, if you like, that we're dealing with here. Whereas I think I'm starting to hear this term EKYC coming out quite a bit at the moment, particularly now with COVID, you know, people are starting to realize that they've got to have electronic mechanisms for exchanging data with customers and actually moving data within their own organizations because you're not sitting next to anybody anymore. You know, data actually is a foundational capability for EKYC. And I think that's why you're starting to hear about it. People have been thinking about that. And also the other thing that the industry started to think about it over, over the last sort of year or so, been this idea of, of perpetual KYC, perpetual reviews and things like that. Again, a foundational capability for that is data and the ability to process data based on triggers. So that's what we've been doing since 2005 with SSIs. There is still a lot of jurisdictions in the world where you cannot fully submit, for instance, your full company records and all the data in regards to that electronically. What's your view on that? Yeah, I mean, it is, it is a significant problem. You know, I, I think the whole opening up of corporate registries, you know, with proper API connections is something that we've started to see. It is patchy at best. There are some great vendors out there, and I'll call out the, you know, Encompass, who we're working with on the Nordic project, you know, who spent quite a lot of time building and, and being able to collect both structured and unstructured data from some of those repositories where you've got it. But you're exactly, you're absolutely right. 
you know there are still places where you you just can't even get it even from scrape it from a website so i think over time that jurisdictions will be kind of forced more and more to do that you know it's another part of the thing about the transparency of data in corporate registers as well the other thing that you're starting to see or at least i i am aware in people's compliance policies themselves the existence of having obscure uh, corporate ownership structures which are difficult to document those are going to stick out more and more as we move to a world where that where that data availability is is more ubiquitous well, it's interesting you talk about the complex structures because we've done a couple of podcasts on the Swedbank case, in particular the Clifford Chance report. How does a solution like yours help in that situation? What we do is keep all of the roles and relationships that a party has with all of all of the different entities that it's related to. So you would be able to see, looking at say me as an individual what relationships I also have with the bank and what roles I play, right? So you'd be able to see that I was a signatory, a UBO, a director of different companies at one time. So when you say create a whole picture, create that whole single customer view and you as an individual, how does your technology work then when you have cross-border jurisdictions and perhaps cross-border languages and alphabets? So we, we have the capability of being able to apply multiple risk scores to an entity regardless of jurisdiction. So in other words, we can, we can have the sense of one set of data, but we can apply more than one model to it. Perfect example is if I'm a, you know, if I'm a Russian company, I have a, a, a branch in London and my headquarters in Moscow. In London, I onboard a Russian company that's likely to be high risk to that jurisdiction, but it's not if it's onboarded into its home jurisdiction, right? So our tool has the ability to basically hold two risk ratings, the one for the London office and the one for the Moscow office together. And we don't, you, you don't have to create a second record to do another risk score. So different alphabets. So from a technology point of view, you know, we, what, what we use is, is a standard database that can hold, I think it's called UTC-80 compliant or something like that. So it can hold text in its native language. So we could hold Chinese script in our fields or, or Cyrillic. So you can actually have the data in the native language. Want to hear more from Ben about iMeta Technologies, the work they're doing with the new Nordic KYC utility and some problems they've been solving for customers? Well, join us for part two of our podcast with him. If you'd like to take part in one of our future podcasts, feel free to reach out to either Marie or myself directly on the podcast website, captivatedaudience.eu, or drop us a line on LinkedIn. We hope you'll join us for part two of this podcast. Until then, have a great day and stay safe.